This was to fulfill what the prophet had spoken. We hear this three times. It's slightly different in the translation John read, but in most translations, three times we hear the words, this was to fulfill. Which leaves us with a real problem, doesn't it? Not only, why the heck have we got this reading on the first day of a new year? I mean, didn't the lectionary compilers notice that it was going to be January the 1st and we might not want this reading? In fact, we never want this reading. We rarely have this reading at Christmas time because it's so horrendous. This is, comes directly after the glories of frankincense and myrrh and gold. And then we get this. It leaves us with a problem because it sounds like God is initiating or at least acquiescing to a refugee catastrophe and a genocide of children. All for the sake of some higher purpose. So what are we supposed to do with this reading? Well, of course, as I've just said, normally we ignore it. We don't read it at all because who wants to read this sort of stuff? It doesn't fit our view of a sentimental Christmas, does it? It certainly fits our view of the world pretty much at any time any of us have been alive. And if we were in the Ukraine at the moment, it would fit almost exactly. And the people in our image would be dressed perhaps in Russian soldiers' uniforms. See, we keep talking about God as a king. In fact, we've just sung about it and we read about it all the time. And in the days when kings were in vogue, I know we've got one now, but it's not quite the same. Because in those days, kings had the complete life and death power over everyone. Their decisions could not be questioned because they were there by divine right. They were completely powerful. And so when you wanted to talk about God, who had the power of creation in God's hands, you naturally choose the term king because that's what we know. In fact, the final book in our scriptures, the book of Revelation, calls God, or, or possibly Jesus, it's hard to tell at that point, king of kings. So there might be kings, but this is the king of all the kings, the lord of all the lords. And we say, well, that's okay, because God is all loving. So he's a loving, caring king. And yes, terrible things happen, but we don't understand why, but God is loving. But really, we're not that comfortable with that, are we? we do we really want to live in a world where we've sort of got a benign dictator? Uncle Xi, as the Chinese are known to have sometimes have to call Xi Jinping, the current president of China, possibly president for life. Big Daddy Xi, they call him. I left my mum and dad's home a long time ago. I don't want to live in that world. I don't want to live in a culture where we have to look to a father figure to tell us exactly what to do. And, and we've moved away from that, from everything from the Magna Carta, which weakened the, the rights of kings to do whatever kings wanted to do, the English Revolution when they chopped the head off Charles I, put there by divine right. And what happened? Nothing. God didn't do anything. They, so they had another go in the French Revolution. They chopped the head off of Louis. What did God do? Nothing, maybe. 
Maybe kings aren't there by divine right. Maybe we reject people with total power. And if the 20th century with Hitler and Stalin, Pol Pot and many others didn't teach us that, we're really hard of hearing. And now we've got Putin and Xi who style themselves as the overall controlling leader. And it leads to what's happening in this painting over and over again. If you're listening to this on, um, on, a, on the podcast, this is um, the Bruegels, uh, Peter Bruegels, 16th century slaughter of the innocents. But we now live in a more democratic world where we are the ones who decide what is right. We will decide who comes to this country and the manner and the circumstances in which they come. That was John Howard's famous speech in 2001. And we, we accept that, that, whether we accept the decisions we, through him, then made about refugees, which I totally reject personally, that it is true that we are the ones that... We're, we're freed from that whole idea that the king of kings is going to control everything. And that's as it should be. I'm a parent, but my kids are in... Well, my daughter's about to turn 40 and my son's older. I'm not telling them what to do. If I did, they wouldn't have turned up on Christmas Day, I can tell you that. And I know many people who didn't turn up to the, each other's family on Christmas Day because there were still people telling them what to do. I told my son exactly what to do when he was five. I told him what to eat and when to eat it. Because if I didn't, he would have eaten ice cream constantly. Wouldn't he? But when he got to six or seven, I started to give him the choices, didn't I? Just like you did and just like hopefully your parents have done to you. Yeah, you choose which pyjamas to wear tonight. And if you choose the really cold ones, well, then you'll be a bit chilly and you'll choose differently tomorrow. It's not much consequence. So that when he gets to 16 and he's making choices that I don't know about, that's inculcated in him. I mean, I'm telling you what we all know and what we all would have longed to have completely done for us when we were children. And it was, to some degree, our parents did what they could do best. And those of us who have been parents and are parents, we've tried to do the same thing. We need someone who is alongside us. I've just lost my dad. He died uh, earlier this year. And I've lost a tremendous uh, encourager and supporter and mentor. But not somebody who ever told me what to do. Not since I was a little boy. We're being called away from that. And we've got all of this in the Gospels. Or better, in the epistles. This is what Paul says. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I gave up childish ways. And he encourages, don't any longer be children. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And it goes on and on. There's many, many places where this is said. We're not looking for God to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords in the language of the scriptures. Because if we are, we're infantilized. We're looking for God to be mentor, support, encouragement. Because we're the ones that have to make the decisions. You have to decide. I have to decide. So how does this fit with our text? Well, I think what's going on here is not that the, the, the author of Matthew, who's very committed to the idea that the Jews should see in the story of Jesus 
the outgrowth of the way God works in the world. It was particularly written to the Jews. It wasn't written to us. So we struggled to, to deal with it. They had a very specific audience in mind, the authors or the author of, of Matthew. I think what the author is saying is not that these things happen because God designed them to. God did not design Herod, the paranoid king, did not design him to slaughter innocent children. I think God, in this text, the author is saying that God is alongside us even in these horrible things. That God is present with us even in horror. And who knows what will happen this year. Terrible things will happen to some of us this year. There's just no way of avoiding that. Terrible things might happen to all of us. Glorious things are pretty likely to happen this year too. They're the ones we're likely to miss. If you get a diagnosis of some terrible disease, that's not something you're going to miss. But it's easy for you to miss, it's easy for us to miss the wonderful things that will happen. I think this is a text of resistance. I think what the author is saying that these things are outside of our control. There's a massive refugee crisis and everyone's going and running away to Egypt. Hundreds of families, maybe. We don't really know how many people surrounded um, the little town of Bethlehem. It was very small. Um, the surrounding areas, who knows how paranoid Herod really was, how many people died, but how many families were affected. You know what it's like. If a child dies in your family, that radiates out. Not for a week or a month, but forever. These are terrible events that are happening. And this author is saying, even in these terrible events, this is not the full truth of the world. The full truth of the world is that God is there making these things uh, uh, real in our hearts and real in our minds so that we do not give up. And there's every good chance that we will this year, isn't there? There's a, there will be lots of things that will happen that will make us think, well, can we just sort of cover it up? And pretend it's okay. There's two versions of this painting, the Bruegel Slaughter of the Innocents, where the, um, one of them, we know who did it, the Holy Roman Emperor at the time, said, this is too horrendous, even though he was quite bloodthirsty himself. Let's re-overpaint this painting. And if you look online, you'll find versions of it, where all of the innocent children who were being slaughtered in this image, and it's hard to see, it's a, much, it's a slightly bigger image than that in real life, are all covered up, they're all made into animals. There's geese being killed, there's a dog being killed, there's a, a pile of bread being thrown onto the ground instead of a child because it's too horrendous to face it as it really is. Even though the person who wanted it overpainted, the Holy Roman Emperor, Rudolf II, I think, at the time, um, was pretty bloodthirsty himself. But we don't want to be confronted with that. We want, uh, we want a sanitised version of the world. But that's not the world we get. God is in the middle of it with us. And we have wonderful choices to make. The choice is, do we see God alongside us and within us in it? Or do we experience ourselves abandoned? And we'll do both of those this year, I'm sure. The, the shocks that come will knock us off our direct course, the course that we think we're on. And yet... God is present there too. God is present in this experience of the painting, even if 
you cover it over with other paint. So what is going on in this text? I think it's a text of resistance. What is going on in the life of the church? I think we have to be a community of resistance. People call to say, yes, I can see what's really going on in the world. Yes, I'm not running away from it. But there is another story being told all the way through this. This is the day. This day and whatever days we've got left to us are the days that God has made. We are in it. We are among it. We are the people of God. We grow up, as Paul says, in every way into Christ, into the life of God. I don't know if that's good enough to deal with this text. It's a, it's a rubbishy text, isn't it? But that's all we've got. That's all I've got. And let's, let's just spend a moment in silence and then we'll sing together.